This American Monster. A Monster of the Week actual play from This American Dice. Detective Sloan Winters had been on the force for years. He'd worked his way up through a combination of solid police work and a fair amount of brown nosing. He was a man who looked for clues as well as he looked for opportunities to advance his career. Now he seemed at a standstill. The cases he was looking into had two things in common. The first was that they had yet to yield him a win. No collar, no attaboy for moving it along, no nothing. Even when they were dealt with, he hadn't been able to get any credit, deserved or otherwise, for getting them dealt with. The second thing was the involvement of that pain-in-the-ass Welker. He and the other fuck-ups that worked as consultants, or whatever bullshit title they seemed to have bought themselves, were connected to each of these. The wild animal they claimed they relocated, the wild animal that resulted in two dead college kids, and an explosion in a city park, and two guys in the hospital from gunshot wounds, seemed to be where it started. The stories didn't add up. But when the company pitched in for new equipment for the force, the message was made clear. Drop the issue. It was an animal, and we're not animal control. Then a mess more UWCF kids died. Some folks thought it was suicide, some thought it was accidents brought on by drugs. One theory was that it was a shared mental condition. But who did Sloan Winters find sticking their noses into the matter? Welker and the other shitheads. Had the fucking gumption, Winters thought. Tell me they're the ones here to protect people. Detective Winters dug around in his desk for more gum. Quitting smoking had been one of the harder things he'd ever done. He rummaged past some old commendation papers from his time in Afghanistan, found the damned gum, and went back to looking at his files. The shitstorm at the museum was the last straw. Based on what he saw, it seemed like those assholes forced their way into the museum, armed to the teeth, mind you, attacked or at least fought with a security guard. Then, when the call came in and police responded, they attacked the responding officers destroyed thousands of dollars in plumbing, and managed to wreck tens of thousands of dollars of archives and exhibits in the museum's basement. Yet they had managed to convince the responding officers not just to not kill them, but not even detain them. What the hell? he asked out loud. Chief Manafort didn't seem like she was living any higher on the hog than normal, and the cops that had gotten into it with them were certainly not living the high life. Officer Harley had a big bruise on his face and had even sworn that the next time he saw, as he put it, that kid and that country fuck, he was going to knock their teeth out. It didn't make sense. Winters had told Welker he was willing to help him out if Welker kept him in the loop, but nothing good had come his way. It was only a matter of time before those morons really fucked up and no amount of corporate donations would paper over it. Reaching for the cuffs on his belt, Winters decided that the next time he saw one of them, the next time they fucked up, he was going to personally drag their asses in. He took a deep breath. He adjusted his posture in his chair so the cuffs weren't poking him in the back. On second thought, he said to himself, as stupid as they are, maybe all the money stacked up on public officials keeping them safe will come crashing down. Maybe, he thought, some higher-ups getting caught up in the whole matter will make room for a devoted cop, a veteran, and a guy who made sure not to get too close to this business to move up the ranks. Chief Winters. Hell, Sheriff Winters if he could spin it right. He closed some of the files on his desk and rang up his union rep. Just a few questions in case. 
This is when we hear uh, Bishop describe that night, and he's and he'll say he'll tell you like so. That night we were going to acquire a target. We've gotten intelligence on. We knew where he we knew where he was. We had everything all planned out. At least so we thought. So what's the first thing that we see? What's the first visual we see as uh, Bishop is narrating this? So uh, Bishop and Welker in a car. Bishop is driving. And uh, he looks really casual. Like he's like humming a tune and like tapping on the the steering wheel. But Welker in the passenger seat has got his like teeth gritted. He's got sweat in his brow. Like his knuckles are white where he's gripping his holster. Because this is his first mission. Or like his first mission with acquisitions, like in this sort of like line of work with the company. Yeah, and so we can yeah we can tell he's looking very very nervous, mm-hmm. and I think Bishop gives you like a like we hear him say like calm down kid, you'll be you'll be fine just follow my lead. Walker will just nod and keeps looking out the window and it's like a it's nighttime it's a new moon so it's really dark out. We would get to. Um, We'd park some distance away, like in a copse of trees from this mansion uh, that's sort of like on it has like a long driveway. Um, and you see there's a couple lights on in the house. And, um, and Bishop said something along the lines of like, this is it. And uh, we'll like stay out there for a minute, seeing if anyone comes in or out. Um, and when there's no commotion, like we'll both enter the place. Uh, and so Bishop knows what he's there for, what he's there for, I imagine. Mm. But I get the impression that Welker maybe doesn't so much. Like, he's just literally just following orders. Uh, but he knows it's some kind of acquisition of, like, an enhanced person, right? So, yeah, he'll just say, like, oh, there's a there's a target that we have to acquire. It's somebody who... He'll basically, he'll basically present it as, like, corporate espionage kind of stuff. Like, we have to get this person back. Okay. Uh, but he's basically been told that this person is not dangerous, I imagine. Um... I think uh, that Mr. Bishop is making things seem very routine. Yeah, for sure. Um, and maybe Bishop even thinks it will be. Um, uh, because he knows that they're after Sundry, right? Yes. Yeah, he knows He knows that. I think Welker does not. Usual, usual thing. We parked the car. <laughs> We've we parked the car, made our way quietly up to the... Up to the... Uh, up to a point of entrance. Things seem pretty quiet. Right. So they, they sneak in. Um, would there be like a time? Like would this would be in the last few years, I guess. This would have been um, maybe like uh, months before your Gilman Row acquisition. Okay. So not long ago. No, not super long ago. Like less than a year ago. So, and we see this house, I think Lee had described it kind of as like, uh, not McMansion, but like crazy Beverly Hills kind of mansion, but in, um, and where was this? Was this in, uh, Palmetto City or is this in another area? Yeah, be in like the wealthy part of town. Okay. So yeah, so this is this, on the outskirts of Palmetto City, this, uh, in this kind of more rural area where there are these big kind of almost country estates and here's this huge we see in the in the flashback this uh kind of like i said like beverly hills-esque crazy mansion and you're able to get inside and we see you guys get inside fairly easily sure like maybe like um 
in the downstairs window. Or hell, Sonny just doesn't lock his doors. You know, it's real liability. Yeah, and maybe there's... um, Yeah. That works. So uh, this is when the story, I think, starts to take... So we can tell as the audience that you're in the house of a very wealthy person and everything seems to be going quietly. And this is where Bishop's story, I think, starts to diverge from what the audience is seeing. For sure. So this part you're going to have to like help me out with. So I picture it being kind of like um, they're looking around and maybe like at some point they are in like a dining room or a living room and they're still like sort of like, you know, going room by room looking for people in this sort of like dark house. And um, like Walker will look down at like a mantle and see like a picture of the owners of the house. And he'll like look at the, the husband and wife and like point to the guy and be like, I know that guy. And like maybe like right after that, you'll hear from like in another room sundry like the woman calling out for him and maybe we don't even see the picture of who you're looking at right but when we hear that it's like oh shit this is his house and that's when we hear bishop's narration of what he's telling welker turns out we'd been set up like they were waiting for us so i'm not gonna lie to you kid things got pretty bad pretty hairy uh you were a little green but you held up pretty well and um, you see, like, Bishop kind of, like, telling you, like, go this way. And you're kind of maybe concerned about, like, wait a minute. is this, Who's this lady? Is this lady who we're doing this? And this, like, sundry charms? What are you, what are we, we doing? And, like, as you guys kind of move forward, I think she, uh, Bishop tells you, like, grab her. And uh, maybe Welker jumps out thinking that this woman is, like, someone far more dangerous. Mm-hmm. And goes to grab her. Uh, to kind of like like shut her up and uh, maybe that's when we see her tr- kind of struggle with him and maybe yeah she gets almost thrown off of this bout like a balcony mm-hmm. um, like over like a banister like like and just kind of crashes to the floor and then maybe after that like Bishop takes it like sort of in stride is like, okay we've got teams for this mm-hmm. uh, but Welker like is like freaking out over it like he's like oh my god i just killed this woman like this she's not even the target is she um and be like what will we tell the police like my family will will never understand and like yeah all all these things about how like he's definitely gonna tell somebody and bishops and bishops just yeah he's just like shut your mouth and again this is what we see in the flashback he's like shut your mouth we gotta we gotta find this guy keep looking like there she is we know where she is where that's that's set keep your mouth shut do your job i said keep your cool and he kind of keeps looking through the house mm-hmm. and he's pushing uh, Welker to kind of like look into other areas, but it's very obvious that Welker is like totally distraught. Oh yeah. He's like being totally useless, uh, like, like checking the body. Like he's like been expressly told not to touch it, but like, he's mm-hmm. just, like looming over it and seeing there's like anything he could do. Um, and he keeps like- looking at pictures of Sundry and Maria and seeing Maria and then seeing her on the, on the ground. So like, yeah, they- once Bishop is satisfied that, like, yeah, they've just botched this, but Sundry isn't even here. Um, they go out, they go back out to the car, and, like, once, like, Welker is in the passenger seat, like, then maybe they have, like, a final exchange where, like, Welker makes it clear again that he's, they're gonna have to report this. And, like, and I think, and I think Bishop's, uh, I think Bishop's narration over that of, like, what he's telling Welker as the cover story is something to the nature of, like, like, you did your best, kid, but like I said, you were, you were a little green. I tried to back you up as best I could, but in the end, I wasn't able to get you out of there alive. 
Yeah, so like maybe he's like hold that thought, Walker. And he like goes in the back of the car, like put his gear away. But then mm-hmm. while he's back there, he just like chokes out Walker from the back, like with a garrot or something, and kills him in the front seat. Oh, okay. So he just like uh, just strangles him, and we just hear like Walker's heart beating louder and louder and louder over this thing. And he'll say like, uh, and we hear Bishop saying, "Target got away." The one thing I was one thing I was glad of that we didn't leave any man behind. Doc fixed you up pretty good. Apparently gave you a new ticker. Though I guess it doesn't don't tick no more. And yeah, we hear just that like beating and beating and beating. Uh kind of like drown things out until like Woker's heart stops. And then we see that like Dark Knight, just the shadowy figure of Bishop going to one of the cars in Sundry's, like, outside Sundry's house, parked all askew as if a drunk person had, like, crashed into his own mailbox. Um, And he's bringing something and putting it into the trunk of the car. He's humming that song. He's singing that song along to himself, Sundry's song. Gonna throw you in the car, and I'll drive you to the river. Gonna see if you can swim. I don't think you could. And he just kind of laughs to himself like a creep. And I think that's when we get back into the into the boardroom with Welker and Dr. McLean and Jessica Lore. And um, Dr. McLean will say, like, we honestly weren't sure that you'd be able to come back from that. Um, you suffered you suffered an extreme trauma. Your heart was stopped. Like I said, we had to put an implant uh, that pumps blood through your body, uh, though, without giving you a pulse. It con- maintains a continuous flow of blood. It's one of the reasons why we had pushed you to, like I said, to make sure that you're always coming to the to lore core doctors. And Welker will be like totally eating all this up, like really appreciative of the company, like thanking them, thanking the doctor, thanking Bishop, being like, I owe you my life. Um just totally buying the company line. That's when Jessica Lore kind of chimes back in and she'll say Somebody took the very acquisitions that you and your team risked your lives to bring in. We have to figure out who that is. That's what Bishop is going to be here doing. You and your team need to keep up the good work and bring in whatever you can find. And now, thanks to our research department, we can provide you with more direction than we have in the past. And she'll uh, she'll bring up an iPad and she'll show you, like, this is where... Like our research department has shown two places, two places of incredible importance. One, not surprisingly, that you see is she'll show you on this, like on an iPad or on a tablet, um, the tower where you guys just were, the Cypress Knolls Tower Gardens. Then another location she'll show you is like this is a property that we've been able to acquire that our research team has suggested there is something special about. And you can definitely tell that's the Magnolia Place Mansion grounds that uh, was in the second mystery about the the witch. Okay. And she'll say, "We've got people looking into that. We want you to keep an eye on that area, but." And she'll like use she'll kind of go to like almost the equivalent of like a next slide situation and like puts another overlay over it. If there's a circle between these two, what other areas are of interest? And one of the areas that she brings up of interest is like here, this point, 
Something around here is likely to come up as an area of interest. This is where we would like you to focus your attention. Is it my house? So she's pointing at the other okay. the other end of this like oval, basically. And gotcha. the bottom of it, that's not where she's focused, is you're like, that's my place. We see a shot at night of Ashton, uh, Merzad, and several what look almost like thugs or goons. Um, And they are traveling to this kind of mysterious location that Merzad has been a little bit cagey about in telling Ashton where you're going. We see a shot of like uh, the moon. We see a shot of these crazy swamps. And... um, in fact, uh, like a little Chiron at the bottom tells us that we're in the uh, the Swampshead National or the Swampshead State Forest wetlands, and you can see off in the distance, kind of this creepy Gothic um, plantation house, like Southern Gothic plantation house that looks like it's kind of falling apart. There's moss and um, oh, like, it's like it's like tilted as if it's like sinking. Yeah, it's, it looks Slowly. like yeah, it looks like the swamp itself is consuming it, along with like vines and Spanish moss and uh, I don't want to say mildew, but like other algae and whatnot that's growing on parts of it. So much oh, so what, that you're what's like, it's like kudzu vine, like that. Yeah, I was thinking really of invasive kudzu. thing. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know if that's in a swamp, but something like kudzu, where there are vines that are creeping up all over the thing. Yeah, uh, there's like bugs that are like screamingly loud out here in this area that you can hear them almost over the, the crazy noise of this fan boat engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also hear like deeper grunting noises that you're like, okay, I'm not a country boy, but I am positive. Those, those are alligators and like other kind of like critters that are out and about where it's like, all right, you are far away from civilization. Like you have moved away from that. And uh, the natural world is kind of surrounding you with this. And it's pretty, frightening um what do these goons or these thugs look like that Merzad's brought along like it doesn't look like they're wearing or carrying guns or anything but it's like wildly inappropriate like spears or swords or something like that okay yeah do they fit in with this like swamp swampy uh like atmosphere do they look like guys who came out of the swamp like it's like a bunch of dudes with like guys with machetes or Oh, oh yeah, you're saying something like even more, more os- uh, ostentatious. Yeah, I was thinking way more ostentatious, but yeah, it might be interesting to just have them all like crocodile dundees. Sure. So yeah, well, we'll we'll say there's three or four of these guys on this fan boat with you, and it kind of feels crowded. Um, and yeah, maybe one of them just has what you thought at first was just a pole to move the boat around, but it actually is this just long spear. Another guy has just like a machete on his belt. A third guy has some huge crocodile Dundee-esque knife mm-hmm. with him. I do call that a knife, sir. Thank that you. That is what I'd call a knife. And then um, a fourth person is, yeah, maybe he just has like a straight up sword mm-hmm. like with him. And at first you thought it was a machete. And then you're like, oh, wait, no, that's a sword. And that thing that I thought was just a pole to help push the boat along uh, is a spear. And these mm-hmm. guys are armed with like these real weird weapons to see. 
and they you kind of notice it after you're already on the fan boat. Um, when we last left Darkblade, he was kind of in the back of Welker's house. He had actually had to jump a fence and go into the neighbor's yard in the property behind Welker's. And he saw that there was this kind of pile of these very, very, very old bricks. And he could sense that something was in it. Um, and he heard this voice that sounded like way far off and almost muffled like it was underwater. And, um... Kind of reminds me of my days in high school when I would be held under the toilet, into the toilet water and mix muffled screams into it. Yeah. And uh, you remember hearing that vampire refer to you as like one of the little people. And he and uh, you have a flashback to you getting a swirly in school and somebody being like, take that, you little bitch. <laughs> and just swirling you and like you are like, like, stop. But it's underwater and bubbling. And you hear that same like uh, that same kind of distortion in this voice that's calling out to you and is saying it's saying something about how. Like, I thought I'd... Huh. You seem like you've grown up grown up pretty big there. Uh, can you hear me? Barely, lad. Barely. I can barely hear you. Oh, uh... Let me, let me get you at it. What's your name? Why don't we... I'm... I'm Darkblade. Darkblade. Oi... Oh, why don't we go for a walk? Um, are you okay? Uh, are you in any shape to be walking anywhere right now, pal? It's like, oh, yeah. Here, get up for a second. And I think you've kind of, yeah, I think Darkblade has crouched down to like listen in at these stones, which yeah. again are these like very, very old bricks. This might look like it was part of a shed or a doghouse or like an old brick barbecue that is just destroyed and kind of like vines and grass have grown over it. And um, when Darkblade kind of stands up, uh, just as he stands up, he gets a little lightheaded for a second, that kind of thing when you get up too quickly. And uh, the area where he is is not where he had been before. He's no longer in the yard of the neighbor behind Welker's house. Yeah, let's let's make the transition. Like, um, he's he goes back to like, yeah, you little you little punk, you know, being called little person, and the swir- the toilet being flushed, and it's swirling around his face, and like, hey, let him go, and like, the guy, the bully gets knocked away, and it's like Brian pulling him out of the toilet. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You remember your younger brother, Brian, saving you on several occasions. Yeah. You're like, wait a minute. Brian saved me. And you're you're kind of like I always shocked. hated him for that. Oh, that's why that's why you've hated him. And you're like yeah. thinking about that back to uh, Brian saving you and helping you. The teacher coming in and being like, like, are you guys in here fighting? You know, you're all in trouble. And Brian's like, actually, Mr. Uh, Potaski. It was me. It was me. It wasn't my brother. He's he slipped and fell. I was the one. And Brian's the one who gets in trouble for you. And you're like, oh, that guy's such an asshole. Yeah. And so you're you're getting a, you get a little lightheaded. And when you kind of come to and shake it off, fight my own fights. 
Yeah. And he looks back and just the last thing that you remember from that scene is he just is like, I'll always be there for you, Herbert. And, um, and yeah, he's led away by Mr. Petaskey. And, um, that yeah, guy so such an asshole. He did that to me. <laughs> I need new clothes now. My clothes are all wet. Yeah, you're thinking about that. And when you kind of come to, you're no longer in that, uh, the lot, the property behind Welker's house. Instead, you look around and you're in this idyllic garden. And um, the well that you're, uh, the, the pile of rocks, I gave it away, my, my, the pile of rocks that you are uh, staring at is now this like old country well with a wooden cap on top of it. And um, you look around and you see all these, it's, it looks like an episode of the great British baking show. As you look around, you see kind of this idyllic green um, park, this idyllic green garden full of flowers. And uh, you hear like the twittering of birds and none of this stuff looks like it would grow in Florida, like big palmet scrub ass palmetto palm uh, palm trees are not all over the place. Um, there's no big live oaks with dangling Spanish moss. Instead, it's uh, it's heather and light green grass, and it's extremely different from where you just were. Now, is that show similar to the Great Cornish Baking Show? It's it, it's yeah, that's the regional and uh, in, in, in Cornwall the regional version. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, because um, that's very different from the the Great Welsh Baking Show. Also. Yes, that's also true. But they had that's the English translation of the Great Welsh Baking Show. The, the Great Welsh Baking Show is much 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 lengthier title. Mm-hmm. So knew that was coming next. There you go. <laughs> so um, you see above you like this shining light, and you hear and you hear. You've gotten so big. I never thought you'd never thought you'd uh, ever make it back here. I'm glad to see that you're doing well, healthy young lad. And you look up, and uh, above you is this shining light, and you see this uh, expanse of wings staring at you. And there almost seems to be this halo type effect um, over this figure. And he says, "I'm glad to see that you're well." Herbert, is it? Yeah, um, you know, a lot of people know me as Darkblade69, but uh, my family call me Herbert. What's your name? It's like my name. Well, I, some folks know me as Matlock. And you hear a fluttering of wings and not an angel, but just a very fat, uh, like, bird just like a fairly common like pigeon of some kind kind of like flutters down and lands near the well. And it kind of does this clumsy flying where it was like, you're one of those birds that more jumps than flies. Like it's very fat. And uh, yeah, it's kind of this brownish orange look to it. And he says, dark blade, huh? Have you? Hell Hell of a name. Oh, thanks. I uh, yeah, I, I came up with it myself. Have you always? There's a close up of the bird, and it just is like rolls its eyes. <laughs> Have you lived here a long time? I I've been here for I've been here for long as anyone any of you can remember. Well, 
not all of you, but not all of you, lad. But I've been here for longer than any of you, any of the big folk can remember, at least. You don't recognize me. Oh, I don't think we've met. But I think I know who you are. All right. Well, that's good. Have you been watching me? Watching you? No. But you got the right smell about you. Hold on a minute. And he flutters down, like, to the other side of this well. And around the the other side of the well comes, like, a very fat orange cat. And he's like, all right, that's more comfortable. I haven't looked like that in a while. Uh, Really trying to hold it in. So, so, um, can you look however you want? He's like, I always look the same way. It just depends on how you, uh, how you got to see me, I guess. Now, what brings you, what brings you looking out here for me? Or what brings you sniffing around? It finally come calling to you, huh? Yeah, I, uh, well, you know, I talked to my mom and, um, learned that she was visited by an angel. Uh, not long before I was born, and and we used to live here. I uh, she said that she met the angel around here, and I uh, now I'm kind of starting to figure out that I think you're my dad. He's like your dad. I don't see the resemblance, son. <laughs> I can I can smell I can smell a little bit on you, but I. I don't think I'm your I don't think I'm your pa at all. Do you remember my mom? And don't make any jokes, all right? Ah, oh, jokes. I I've never made a joke. Never made it here. Can you open this for me? And he, he scooches over a tiny bottle of what looks like perfume. Huh. Uh yeah, is this uh what is this, a Guinness? <laughs> He's like ah. Uh, Never, never heard of it. Oh, I just thought that you, uh, that Irish like to drink. And he's like, huh, I get it. Anyway, and he kind of like makes like a, let's go open this thing. I thought the Irish liked, and he's going to elaborate. I thought the Irish <laughs> like to drink and fight and argue about religion. And he'll open it. He's like, sure. Yeah. It's the only thing I got time for nowadays. I, I, you've got a smell to you that I remember. You seem familiar. And he sniffs around, he smells your leg, and he takes a little swig from this bottle. And he moves in a strange way. He's this very fat orange cat. And there are times where he'll do very cat-like things, and there are other times where he does far more human things. He seemed like he couldn't open this little bottle, but at the same time, he's holding the bottle like a person would hold a bottle and drinking out of it. He doesn't have like an opposable thumb, but he's regularly just holding the thing and drinking from it. Matlock will kind of sniff around at you again, and he'll uh, he'll reassure you. He's like, "I'm not your lad. I'm, I'm not your. I'm not your dad, son. Yeah, I'm not your dad. But I remember. I think I remember your ma. 
You go by Darkblade now, do you? That's right. So he can tell you um, he can tell you kind of some of this story about how years ago no, he'll, he'll only refer to it as like a wee bit ago. I can remember uh, I can remember a lady came by and she was able to find this place which is which is odd. The big folk the grown ones don't usually don't usually find this place. But she was so she was so sad. She was worried. She and her husband hadn't uh, they'd not been able to have a baby. And I figured, you know, maybe I could do something to help out. So I summoned up a little bit of what I had left in me to to give her a gift. To give both both your folks a gift. And that was I guess you. Are you my are you my my lad? No. But there's a little bit of the uh there's a little bit of the wee folk blood in ya, nonetheless. Helped her, uh, and so, yeah, and you can remember um, your parents at times when you were young arguing before your dad left about uh, whether or not you were really his son. Your mother and father talking about how, like, you went, they went to the doctor, they went to doctors, and all of the evidence suggests that he, you are indeed Brian Mock Sr.'s, like, son. You remember your, your mom and dad arguing about that, but your mom also, your dad always having, like, a like a doubt about it because of the timing of your birth and your mom referring to you as her little angel baby and kind of talking in these ways that like you were this gift and you were almost a, like an immaculate conception and your father being like the timing doesn't work out. And, yeah, and all the times when my mom tried to describe um, how babies are made and she's just like, yeah, you talk to a leprechaun uh, on a park bench and you tell the guy, look, I really want a kid. And he just gives you a kid. And then you're like, yeah. that's not what they teach me in school, mom. That is irresponsible. Well, she, she would always refer to, uh, to her encounter as an encounter with an angel. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I think even possibly, more irresponsible, mom. Come on. Um, I think, so you're telling me I don't need to wear condoms. Is that what you're saying, mom? <laughs> and she's like, Oh, you're, so, you're so sweet. Uh, Herbert, I'm sure you'll you'll meet a girl and get married, and you two can have as many babies as you want. Um, but I think that that you're kind of remembering some of these things about like your childhood and like your dad leaving, in part because he like suspected that maybe uh, your mother had cheated on him. He also kind of was pushed away by this weird talk of like I had a a, a magical baby and the circumstances of this all, like all seemed too strange and so he left he eventually came back and um like Brian was conceived but yeah Matt Lockle this fat orange cat uh takes out a pipe seemingly from behind his back and Are you Brian's dad too? Who's Brian? Oh, he's my brother. Says, my I'm little your, brother. I'm not you or your brother's brother's dad. Hmm. And maybe she saw. Hmm. Well, if dad didn't get mom pregnant, how did she have Brian? <laughs> so he says, "Hi, this is." He says, give me a light here, will you, lad? He has a lighter that has, like, a um, Imperial from Star Wars insignia on it, and he'll, like, 
flick it open. He's like, oh, an Empire man, eh? Oh, I was a rebels guy, rebel guy myself. You know, when you think about it, and he goes on a long diatribe about, like, fascism, and you're like, ugh, boring. It's um, just ironic, man. I don't, you know, of course, everyone loves Luke. Uh, so, yeah, you light, you take out your uh, Star Wars lighter, you light his little pipe, and he puffs on it. He kind of leans back, and he says, you know, I'm getting, I've been stuck down here for so long. I don't know how much I don't know how much I have in me to explain it to you. What do you What do you mean? He'll give you a vague explanation of that, like he's been trapped. He's been trapped here for a really long time. He's done what he can to keep people safe, but uh, and help people. But he doesn't know how much power he has left to keep helping people or explain this stuff to you clearly. Say, <laughs> if I wasn't already. If I wasn't stuck, if I wasn't stuck under this water, then maybe I, maybe I could explain it better. But from what I, from what I can feel, the rest of the wee folks have been going under the earth. Have the, uh, have, have the sons of, the sons and daughters of Adam, you big, big fellers, letting you do things alone without any of us. So... Anyway, stuck down here as I am, can't do much about it. So well, again, why can't we get you out? You know, I'm a big guy. I can get you out of here. All right. And there is like I said, there's a like a wooden lid over the top of this. Um mm-hmm. there's a wooden lid over the top of this well, this old timey well. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I gotta take a piss and just open up the top of it. Okay. So, so when whoa, you go- you're in here. Or when you go to open this thing, I think you grab it and uh, there's like bolts on the top of the thing and they're like white hot and you like burn your hands. Oh. And so you're like, like freak out from that. So Austin, one more thing, and this Go is like it. important or anything, but we could like address. Um, so as the monstrous, uh, I get like various new moves, and mine are all sort of revolving around like durability, like basically mm-hmm. zombie stuff, where it's like, oh, you're impervious to certain harm, you can heal that kind of thing. Sure. But like the the moves for like attacks were like teeth, claws, um, some other thing, and like magic attacks. And magic attacks is the only one that made any sense. Mm-hmm. So like maybe they're like, oh, well, now that you know what you are, we can like sort of tell you, like, here's what your body is actually capable of. Sure. I think, yeah, the second part of Welker's scenes or the second scene with Welker could probably be like discussing this stuff with Dr. McLean and him telling you almost very, uh, your body's changing, Billy. Like, yeah. um, like he can kind of go into like, this is what we understand. Um, and like this is what we know and what will likely change. And this is what we don't know. And him kind of just kind of him level with you more about how, uh, especially over this time, they've maybe had to give you additional treatments to make sure that you're okay. And they've given them to you in the guise of these other things, perhaps. Yeah. Although, you know, actually, now that I look at it, the, the options are teeth, claws, magical force, or life drain. 
life drain can work too where they're like okay you're dead but maybe you can like um it's like how heat goes to cold places like you can like sort of touch living people and sort of take some of their essence or something like that i don't know all i know is teeth and claws don't make any sense yeah i i agree with you there it could either be just that welker becomes like extremely strong and so yeah. that like magical attack is just like oh, oh yeah. maybe maybe just like some of his muscles can like push back harder than you would expect like like any normal humans could that is an elegant solution so just because it's like, oh, they're dead. So they're like the receptors within that don't work out. And I think Dr. McLean can probably also explain like why fire would uh, like that, like your body seems to be able to regenerate itself back to this point, but how fire will like affect, affect tissue in a different way, like burns affect tissue in a different way that it would prevent that from happening. Yeah. Cool. All right. Welker. So, I think after you've kind of gotten this information, um, I want to have you meet up maybe with Darkblade, or is there more stuff that you need to talk about with these? Um... Oh, no. I think we can finally have Jessica Lore maybe explain some of this stuff. And uh, I think Bishop can maybe even leave. And just uh, Dr. McLean, Shark Gun. I think maybe Dr. McLean can hang out, uh, can perhaps even... Basically, this will be your time to speak with Jessica Lord alone, and she'll tell you... You've proven yourself not only loyal, but incredibly capable, and you've gone through a lot. Your family moved. Hell, you died for this company, and we want to reward that. I can tell you a lot more, Welker. We think we've got an idea, not only of where this is, but we think that if we find out enough about this, we could perhaps use this for some kind of good. The information that we found from other teams' acquisitions helped us bring you back, helped us keep you alive. The studies that Dr. McLean has done with the acquisitions you brought in have helped us keep people from dying. People on the front lines, not just of battlefields, but of fighting fires, keeping people safe, and just saving lives. What we're doing matters. And we've always appreciated what you've done for this company. Our research wing has been able to find that this area in particular, this city, has something about it. There's an unusual number of what can only be described, honestly, as supernatural phenomena. Once we find these things, we can study them, we can dissect them, and we can figure out how to use them to better society and to treat one another more humanely. We can take these seemingly inhuman things and make ourselves more human, make ourselves better, make our world better. We need your help. Walker will nod and say, I'm here to fight the good fight. Nothing will... Nothing will stop me from it. Me or my team. Excellent. We've only gotten partial information about this. We have a location we want you to look into, but there's something else we need from you. While Bishop is working on reacquiring what was taken, we want you to keep an eye on your team. Certainly. I mean, we, all, we all have each other's backs all the time. Your team is special. Every member of that team has something special about them that made you pick them. But all of those people came off of a list that came from our research team. There's some supernatural element to each of them. And that's what we want you to keep an eye on. 
Because if in the end there's something about them that could help us make this place, this world better, we need to know. So Walker explicitly knew that there was something hidden in Ashton. I know yes. That. Yes. I don't know if he knew anything about Darkblade. I, I think like his initial assumption was like, oh, we thought he was special once, but then I realized he wasn't. And so like, yeah, I, I think how he could go back and be like, oh, I guess I was wrong about that. Um, but then I don't think he knows anything at all about Sundry. Yeah, so I think some of that is coming as like a weird thing to you. And um, I think she can give you... I think she can give you these files, like access, like just like you had asked, access to more of these files where it basically suggests that, um, and it's a lot of what to you almost looks like new agey kind of mumbo jumbo that then people have worked out a bunch of weird statistical information on. Um, So almost like we hired a psychic and then we also hired a bunch of statisticians and private investigators to look into all of this stuff. And you can, uh, it basically tells you that, um, like, it doesn't have why Ashton is dangerous. It just has that same information that you had seen before. But for Darkblade, it suggests that, like, um, he's making connections that don't seem to be, that other people don't seem capable of. He seems to be able to see things in a way that no human could. And how that's, like, an important and important and has made made the the company look at Darkblade. And with Sundry, uh, it basically suggests he seems to have a connection to some kind of force larger than himself. We want you to find out what these things are and tell us what you can. And Walker will say, um, are, are my teammates being considered as potential subjects? No. Of course not. Your teammates are already part of this team. One of the reasons we wanted you to bring them in, or those like them, was to make sure they were on our team working with us to make things better. They are not targets, but they should be studied as they work with you. I'll help them live up to their full potential. She'll nod, and she's pleased with that response. And she'll and she'll just kind of finish this out with saying... Make sure we know what the full potential is. Kind of like, like yes, keep them safe, but we act, we want to know information about them. Is like made clear to you. Okay. What's the thing? What's the thing that she says that makes you doubt what she just said? Um, I mean, honestly, that last line where okay, where <laughs> yeah, that was pretty ominous. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I get it. We're supposed to like make ourselves better teammates. Like, you want super soldiers on our side. She's like, yeah, but I also want you to like basically report in on them. Okay. And then she looks at Bishop and goes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bishop like looks at me, and makes he's just holding guns. a big knife. Yeah, he has a picture of me dead in his car. Mm-hmm. He's humping it. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this guy is really a creep. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, so yeah, just, I guess that can work. That's the thing that you're like, you're like, okay, there's some element at, about this that I do not a hundred percent trust. Yeah. And then like Walker is always sort of this company guy, but I think it's definitely been some foundation laid for the idea that he's still not, not a hundred percent of the trust and looking out for himself. Like for instance, he knows that on a cross is a police informant and he hasn't told anybody about that yet. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would, 
Yeah, that would indicate like a not a total confidence. So when we come back to Darkblade, he's like burned his hands. And I think that that um, the cat, Matlock, this fat orange cat will be like, are you crazy there, lad? Can't open that up. What do you think's got me stuck down there? Who put this here? He's like, I've been sealed up a long time. Uh, and he'll... We already explained this to Carl, so he'll go through, go through like a very, very brief version of this to uh, Darkblade. But he explains that he's been here for far longer than any of you uh, big folk have been around. He was put down here by a by an angry man of the cloth who sealed him up, sealed him up in some iron shackles, and tossed him down into the into the water. And he's been stuck here since. And. He does what he can to protect the, the little ones or help people here and there. But there's only been a few folks who've... Um, who he's been able to notice for a long time. And he'll talk about... Uh, he'll say, like, seems like your ma was one of them. Another one was a lady long ago. Seemed, seemed sad as well. I tried to do the same thing that I did for, did for your ma... You know what? He'd have been a little bit younger than you. Only a bit. He describes that a woman who had come there had been trying to find a way to like uh to like protect her child that he that she knew that she couldn't have a child and you realize that the person that he's describing very quickly was Alan Graves' mother. Hmm. So Alan Graves was the witch um, that you guys dealt with in the second mystery, the witch who was making all those uh, like other college students die. We say man of the cloth. Was it a priest? Put down, put you down here. So Christian motherfucker. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Why not? I've been stuck down here. But like I said, I could feel it coming up out of the. I can feel it down in the earth is where the rest of my kind have gone. And now. Uh, I don't know what'll happen to me stuck here in this water. Maybe I'm stuck here forever. Maybe I'll just fade away to nothing. Oh, well, Matlock, I want to get you out of here. You've, uh, you know, clearly you've given, even though you say you're not my, my dad, you've given me life in one way or another. I owe you. I'm going to get you out of here. It's the last thing I do. He's like, I appreciate it. I don't know what I'll do if I do get out. Uh I also I especially appreciate that you gave me life without um, without screwing my mom. So He's like, well, I've been down here for a long time. I don't know if I know how to do it anymore. Yeah, well. Um, sure, if you did do it, that my mom would have appreciated it and you would have done it well. Hey, thanks. Thanks there, boy. I appreciate it. And uh, he'll... He'll, he'll explain to you that basically he's like, you're not going to be able to directly get me out of here. He's like, most of the stuff that I'm sealed up with would hurt you nearly as much as it would hurt me. It's like, you're going to have to get somebody else who can, um, somebody else to do this. And does, uh, you said not everybody can see this, right? It's like, Hey, most of the, I, most of the grown folks can't, uh, 
can't find their way here. Look, usually it, they just get lost, walk right by it. To them, it's not even real. But you, you got some of the, uh, you got some of the, some of the wee folks, uh, blood in your veins. Or so it seems. There's another fella who, who might be able to help you. I don't know what, I don't know what it is about him. It doesn't smell like, it doesn't smell like one of the other grown folks. It doesn't smell like the, the children of Adam. <sighs> smells like he's got more a connection to the earth. You know, I'd, I'd wondered about it, but I'd smelled some, something recently. A smell of death. And there's a bit of it on him. Is there a chance? Is there a chance there's a ghost nearby? A ghost nearby here? Hi. Huh. There Wait. seems like there seems like there's something that's it almost smells of the grave. And it's visited nearby, brought brought its living young one here too. Maybe it can help you. It's here now? Aye. Not not right now. But nearby, the smell of it's real, real close. Huh. Alright. I'm gonna go see if I can find it, but Yeah, I'll see if I can find anyone else who can help, alright, Matlock? Hang tight, buddy. Uh, well that's what I've been doing for longer than you've been alive, son. And uh yeah, and I think we just see Darkblade look up at over the fence at Welker's house. So we see Ashton back on this fan boat with these uh with Merzad and these four kind of rough looking characters. And um mm-hmm. you guys are it's nighttime. We see the moon, we see you guys heading closer and closer towards this. We get this is when we get like a good view of this mansion and how decrepit it is. This is the kind of place that like it doesn't make sense even to have built this, especially in a time not only before air conditioning, but in a time like um, when you'd be worried about malaria even more than now. Like, okay, this doesn't make a stitch of sense to be this building out of like the 1800s. And um, as you guys... Yeah. As, All of them got Zika. Yeah, that's 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 why uh, Darkblade's head is so weird. <laughs> so, um, so, in route... Uh, what is it that makes Ashton realize that, um, where the hell is, oh, it's a Google doc. That's why. So what is it that Ashton makes <laughs> Ashton realize that, um, these guards are not real, that they're just hallucinations. Yeah. And maybe as the viewer see this, like he looks at the moon and looks down and there's like no shadow cast at all. And then maybe that's when he tries to say like, Oh, and, Hey, um, I guess, uh, machete friend, uh, how's your, what's your day job? This must be a side gig, right? I so since I think it's more dramatic for him to do that first and then make the realization that they're fake. Okay. Um, I think once, once the realization, like once it's clear that you've made that realization, I think we just no longer see them on the boat. 
and it's just you and Merzad. When you guys uh, arrive at this mansion, it's just like we said before. The place seems like it's crumbling. Uh, it's tilted, and there's vines growing all over it. There's like moss. There's probably a tree that's like leaning onto the building. Um, oh, does the water come up to the uh, like the steps? Like how? How? Yeah, crazy is it? that's that's even better. Like it seems like Ooh. this place has either sunk down or the water has risen. Maybe, so maybe you, there's like the. Uh, like the half uh, submerged, like a crazy fountain, like angels or something. They're like just like half submerged. Yeah, it's 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 br- it's all broken and covered in mildew or uh, algae. Oh yeah, I love that. Like green, and, just green angels, kind of coming out of the fetid like pool here. Yeah, there's a green angel with like a broken hand. It's one of the hands broken off, and it's kind oh, I love of like. It sitting there and in the past it would have been this fountain but now it's just just that coming out and Merzad turns off the fan and so the boat kind of like slowly goes and we see this awkwardly long shot of this boat slowly kind of going up to the steps of the house whereas there's this like big porch like this usual kind of southern uh, wraparound porch that this mm-hmm. has and so the boat kind of like comes up onto it and he can kind of moor the boat uh, haphazardly to the the railing and um, maybe Ashton goes to use his phone to light stuff up. Millennials. Am I right? With their phones. Um, <laughs> yeah, not using a Zippo lighter. No, but I think when Ashton goes to do something to create a light, like Merzad chastises him and says like, like, like you're all the light that you need. You're all the light that you'll need to find your way here. And he just makes a face like, okay. He leads you into this building. And this building seems like, like I said, it's super old. It's incredibly creepy. It has this vibe. like there's like creaks, like as we walk, it's like the warped wood and everything. Yeah. All of the the floors are incredibly like not level anymore. Um, There may be the sounds of animals that are in here, but you're not hearing, seeing any of them. Like you can hear that they are in this building as much as you are. And yet you're not seeing like rats or raccoons or any other kind of weird critters come by. Um, maybe you hear the, like the fluttering of birds, but again, you don't see anything. Well, if, if we're still sticking with the, uh, like the nineties or aughts, uh, TV show, there's definitely like rattlesnake noises every second. Like the. Sure. Um, and, uh, where does he lead you for this ritual? And, Keep in mind, you're also going to tell me what the ritual is. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, no we've, we've, we've discussed what the ritual is, actually. But where oh, would good. be the best place in this uh, in this building? No, I forgot what we said, but I, I feel like the uh, the coolest part would be like maybe like the equivalent of the attic, maybe. So like okay. the third store some story or something. But like the uh, the roof has caved in so it's all like flooded with moonlight awesome yeah so you get up there and again you hear these like like birds alight like no light means to land these birds take off and uh like but again you don't see them instead you just see the blinding bright moon that seems much larger than it had looked before mm-hmm. um and Merzad like said like kind of like with a flourish and again it's very strange that this man is kind of periodically acts like a magician and yeah. he's like, he kind of does like a behold 
and he points out all of these items laid out on this, uh, like on the floor. And like, there's a, a very old gun. There's a, uh, there's a, like an old time, timey hand mirror. Um, there's a sword. There is, um, like a, like a claw hammer. There's a, like a, like a small grandfather clock. There's a, um, uh, there's like a, a femur that has attached to it that looks like a human femur that has attached to it like a string with human teeth on the thing. And uh, what are some other uh, very frightening, old, like archaic looking, ancient looking items? And they don't all have to be weapons, but some of them should be like frightening or very mystical looking. We need one of those like that, that old, probably made up Chinese weapon that just looks like a giant top hat on a chain with blades on it. Sure. There's what looks like a circular blade attached to a chain. Mm-hmm. And again, all of these are old. So the uh, the bladed items are kind of like dulled or rusted even. The mirror looks like it's like worn where the silver behind it is uh, all fucked up. Oh, there's like a like a human skull, but like um, transparent or something. Sure. There's a crystal skull there. Sent oh, from God the- damn it. Nope. Never yeah, mind. That's what I, was I changed my mind. Um, yeah. Oh, no, there, there no. can be. <laughs> um, uh, maybe, maybe like a, oh, a transparent heart. There you go. That's something that's not a terrible movie. Sure. There's a, what looks like a transparent heart, but it doesn't look quite like glass. It almost looks like someone had um, uh, created it almost out of like amber, but you can see through the thing. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Any any other items up here just for flavor? Uh, much like old fertility goddess statues, like the round ones. Like the big boobies and the giant bellies. Yeah. Oh, uh, the what was that? The Venus of Wollendorf? Is that it? Sure. I think that's the the crazy one. So yeah. So there seems to be like an old like fertility looking idol. Within each of these items, there is a burning flame. Each of these items has seen more hate than hundreds of people could imagine. What you have to do is choose the one in whom the flame burns the brightest. You have to choose the item that has seen the most hatred. Choose wisely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he says, and he was like, let that light, let the light within you find it. He's like looking at all of them. And, oh, he's probably just talking out loud too. He's like, he looks at the gun. He's like, oh, well, hmm, that has fire involved with it, but. Hmm, I don't know. And he goes to the the fertility carving or whatever. It's like, well, that could be fiery, but I mean, I'm not into that. And Oh, wait, it's a, I mean, not hatred. That's probably the opposite, I guess. Let me think. And he goes through like each one probably. And I think as, I think as Ashton is moving around here, Ashton certainly would not describe himself as a person who has magical powers or senses, but certainly in this room, in this moment, it's almost like he's being magically drawn to some of these things and he can feel this hatred that's coming off of these items and each one feels disturbing. And maybe uh, like as he looks at them or maybe even goes to touch some of them, he gets visions of like death and visions of like intense, like, like I said, hatred and anger as he gets close to each one. And of course there is one that stands out because it doesn't have that feeling of hatred that comes off of it. And which item is that? Like a really old looking sword. 
It's probably okay. even like one bladed even. And he's like, uh, well, what's wrong with this one? This one seems, I guess, different. So, and I think that as Ashton kind of gets closer and closer to the thing, um, we can kind of see more details of it. And so you said it's like bladed on a single side. Is it a straight blade? Is it uh, curved? Does um, it look really heavy? Does it look particularly light? Yeah, I think it looks... Uh, hmm. I would say it's like heavy. I don't think it's... Yeah, maybe it's curved. Who knows? Yeah, that sounds cool. I like that. Does it look kind of like a cavalry saber? I, I don't know what that means, but that sounds cool. I like that. Okay. So we see kind of this curved single edged sword that looks like it could be held in one hand uh, for Mm. the most part. Mm -hmm. And Ashton's kind of getting closer and closer to it. And I think the thing that you can tell is while all these other items are resonating this hatred and death, this is an item that has seen more hatred than any of the other ones, but it has seen it in that it has been used to stop that hatred and stop that darkness, as opposed to those other items, which are, items of hatred and darkness mm-hmm. yeah so i think he he kind of makes that connection it's just like yeah i think he just picks it up he doesn't say anything all right and you pick it up and you're kind of like hit by that wave of uh like emotion of like standing against all of the this like intense feelings of like i said hate anger anguish um and like and as you're standing there you kind of see Merzad. Uh, and he looks at you and he's looking at you in an entirely different light and he says you've chosen an item that has been carried by this order for centuries you've chosen an item that connects you to your true destiny as a member of this sect for thousands of years there have been people who've stood against those forces of evil and forces of darkness those supernatural things that most people can't fathom if you want to actually help people actually protect them from the tragedies that you've seen from the tragedies that uh, some would be all too keen to loose on this world in the pursuit of power that's your weapon to do it and I welcome you into this order Yeah, and I think he does that, the uh, the thing that everyone in a TV or movie does when you realize, like, oh, this is a perfect weapon for me. He, do- he does, like, the spinning, like, figure eight. He's like, yeah, this, I could use this. I feel that's all I, I actually really want from this. As part of this ceremony, and you can tell me how this goes, Ashton is going to be made to give something up, to swear on something, and to be marked in some way. He basically explains to you that, like, the Circle of Atar has had many names, that that's just one of it, the Knights of Ptolemy, the the Sword of Constantine, that these different groups that have been uh, focused on fighting against, fighting against this evil darkness and keeping people safe from it. Uh, and he says, like, you're one of the last of, you're one of the last of this order, and by taking up this sword, like, you pledge yourself to this fight. Um, and he'll, t- he'll tell you though the, but he says these vows don't come lightly and Ashton knows he has to give something up in that moment like I don't think Merzad has to tell you that 
I think we just we know that he now has to give something up. What is it and how do we know it? Yeah, maybe he's going to give up like an eye or something. Okay. So what's his uh what's his reasoning for that and uh like what how, how does that happen? Something like a Hammurabi kind of thing. All right, so someone should be punished for uh Reagan's death. And if I'm going to be part of this, then I'll accept that responsibility. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. When we just look back, is he just missing that eye almost magically? Or is there like a ceremony in which his eye is removed? Oh, Does I he feel... like poke his eye out? Oh, it's got to be way, it's gotta be way more graphic, right? I feel Mirzad's got to take it. Like he's got to carve it out. Okay. This character is much darker than I had intended for him to be. Yeah, we see Mirzad take that sword. I think using that sword... Um, I think like heats it over something and just kind of burns out your eye. Mm-hmm. And so there's just this screaming that we hear like on the, on the swamps as the thing cuts away to this like scary mansion. And Ashton yeah. is now like, like one of his eyes is like burned shut. He'll say like, you've given up, you've given up an eye to better see your course. Don't be dis- like, don't be distracted. Stay focused on protecting those, not just around you, but protecting those everywhere from the darkness that seeks to swallow up this world. He's like, if you close your eyes even once, the darkness will swallow you like it will swallow all of us. Yeah. So then what does Ashton Ashton is made to swear on something that he will uh, that he'll fight against these things. And Mirzad will say, Mirzad will tell you, like, like I've stretched, he's like, he'll tell you that as one of the last of the order, he's worked with the Lore Corporation to help, um, to help find these uh, dark, these forces of darkness, but those things that can't be controlled by man um, have to be, ooh, have to be eliminated. Humanity has to be protected from this. As the circle, the circle of Atar protects, but also cleanses with fire. On what yeah. do you swear, Ashton Green? Um, yeah, so I'm tempted to do his his mom, but I feel like um, probably the more dramatic thing, especially, um, you know, to to keep her in people's minds, I guess, like probably. Reagan would be the, the better choice, but I don't know. What do you think? Well, Reagan's already dead, though, right? Yeah, just I guess on her spirit or grave. We like see a flashback to Reagan's grave. We see a flashback to like Ashton meeting Reagan. All in his eyes still like bleeding or something. He's like, uh, I swear on the the grave of the person I should have protected. And then uh, last thing is, and I think that there's kind of an easy answer to this now. Uh, in what way is he marked? Well, he's missing an eye, but uh, yeah, what, what's a good marking? You had said in the past that one of the rings that uh, Merzad wears, like maybe we've described Merzad as wearing all these rings. And he's mentioned that this organization has many different names. Maybe 
these rings are kind of different symbols of the parts of the sect that are no longer around. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he could perhaps give Ashton one of these rings that it's like, Oh, you can't take this off. Oh yeah. I like that. That's cool. So, um, what is the organization? What was the sect that Ashton gets the ring of? Yeah. Is this the, the circle of Etter one or I think that's what he refers to the, the organization as, but I think it has, like I've said, had different names over time in different uh, places. Oh, I see. And I know you had suggested the Knights of Ptolemy. That's right. Yeah. So maybe there's some like the, pro- the protectors of the library of uh, Alexandria. Yeah. So maybe it's got okay. like, yeah, maybe it's got like a, like a book, a lighthouse. Now yeah. I'm just imagining a state quarter basically. <laughs> of of ancient alexandria i mean you're not wrong lighthouse a pyramid some pyramids in the background well i thought that was cool now you're making it more lame but yeah Uh, (laughs) so it 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 does look like that but it looks like an ancient coin so like yeah yeah. very it's not as defined and is this like a a ring you said or is it a a coin okay it's it's a ring but it looks the top of it looks like an ancient coin so it's kind of a big ostentatious ring merzad kind of like helps ashton up and says, that had to be incredibly painful. But honestly, there's a lot of work to be done. And so, like, we see kind of like an out-of-body type experience of, like, uh, like the light kind of further indicating to uh, viewers that, like, oh, he died. What is the, what's the scene that we, what's the vision that Sundry gets that like the audience and him can know that like he was not responsible for his wife's death and uh, like he can move past that. Like he can still hold her in his heart and still like know like what was going on. Not, not know. He, he doesn't have to forget, but he can move past that. Mm-hmm. Is it like an actual conversation with her. Yeah, like maybe he uh, comes to and he's sort of like uh, being pulled out of the water and he looks up and he's being pulled up by his wife. Sure. So, yeah, Maria's like pulling you up and she's wearing um, a dress not not too different from what we had seen her in as she like led him through the woods. I think it might be better if there's no like like if we never hear her voice. Like if it's just like he knows now because she saved him. Sure. She kind of like looks at him. Maybe she moves some like some of his hair out of his eyes because he's got like long Russell Brand hair. Yeah. So she kind of like moves that out of his eyes and they kind of look at each other for a long time. We can get the sense that she doesn't hold any ill will towards him. Yeah, she like looks at him and smiles and Sundry just like breaks up in tears. Um, And then maybe like when he closes his eyes to like wipe away some of the tears, look again, she's gone. But he feels like a piece about it. She smiles and leaves and you're kind of crying. When you look back, you just see this column of light kind of like shooting up from where the, like the city is. Mm. And as you like, as you look at it, you see the waters kind of around this area recede a bit. And when you look back, they kind of crash back over you and knock you down. And of course the water isn't water, but is actually blood out of it come these kind of like writhing creatures that are pulling themselves up and your view kind of rises up to more of what the city is seeing like 
um, and you can see that there's these huge outlines that looks like an eye over cool. the city that seems to open up, and from the center of it, it's shooting out this uh, column of light. And further, as you look, kind of, we keep zooming out, and there are other locations in the world where these eyes kind of like open up and shoot out these similar columns of light. And um, we kind of zoom back into Palmetto City, and we just see like buildings that are on fire. We see these horrible um, creatures that are seemingly in the shadows that are reaching out towards people as folks are running and screaming. And um, you just hear, um, yeah, you just hear a voice that just says like, thanks, buddy. Couldn't have done it without you. Oh, man. And then that's when you kind of like wake up and you're on the beach and you're just spitting up water and like, like Mother Thala is standing next to you as you're like gasping for air and kind of like retching up all this water out of the ocean and you're covered in sand when you're wet and like you touch dry sand and it clings to your body and you're just coughing and then uh, 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 trying to come to. Yeah, maybe the last thing is like him trying to like stubbornly march out of the ocean and Thala keeps trying to help him and he keeps like stumbling over uh, and he gets to the beach and he's like, he's just like making a beeline out of there. Um, and Thala's like, wait, you can't go. You're still like super sick and super weak. And he's just like, I got work to do. Yeah. And we just see like, like you leave and leave her on the beach, like her looking up at you. As you're leaving, the camera kind of pans up and we see that like the moonlight is glinting off of the, uh, the top that looks like a lighthouse and it looks like it is at, like almost like the lighthouse is working. Cool. As like a functional lighthouse kind of like suggesting that there's like a, there's a destiny towards which he's moving himself. Honestly, the only other thing I can think of as far as Walker goes is like, I've always considered like he has two priorities in his life, company and family. And if I was to have another Walker scene, it'd be like, oh, his company life is improving. His family life is deteriorating. Oh, but that's awesome. Um, but that's uh, yeah. what I'm interested in. Well, yeah, maybe you get back home and you see your family kind of just doing regular family stuff. And maybe your wife is kind of like a little bit pissed. Oh, your wife is like a little bit pissed off because she'll she's arguing with uh, Tara. So Julia and Tara are arguing with one another. And uh, Tara's like, I don't see what the big deal even was. I mean, I tried to call dad. He just didn't answer the phone when I called him. So, and, um, and your, and your mother, like when you get, I'm sorry, Julia, her mother, your wife, right. When, right. uh, when Chase Walker gets in, she's like, she's like one of your work friends showed up at the house when our daughter was here on her own and she doesn't think that it's weird that he was hanging around in the backyard. So, like, Welker will hear both these people sort of shouting at him, like, to get him to hear their point of view. Um, and, yeah, and like, in, in, in the background, like, one of the things that we can, like, definitely distinctly hear at some point was, like, I think was at some point Tara's like, I don't know. I don't think he was that. I don't think he was that creepy. I mean, and you could tell for a second she's kind of like, I don't know. I kind of thought he was cute. Um, sure. Okay. Yeah. So, like, you know, this is like a like a domestic thing slash work thing, and like he like listens to them both like trying to like yell at him and like get him like side with him for like maybe twenty or thirty seconds, um, and then at some point like um, Tara's like waving her phone around. When yeah. She, when when uh, Julia mentions again that she tried to call, and, like in exasperation, Welker instead of like saying anything to defuse the situation, like grabs the phone out of her hand, 
but in that moment he, he crushes it like his grip is like inhumanly strong and just like shatters the phone This American Monster is a production of This American Dice. This American Monster uses the Monster of the Week system, a game published by Evil Hat Productions and by Michael Sands. Sundry Charms is Lee. Chase Welker is Carl. Darkblade69 is Alex. Ashton Green is David. And your Game Master is Austin Smith. Our theme song is by Patrick Ross. It's called Sinlude. Additional music for this episode included A Dangerous Location by Ron Ernest, Shadow Man by Lobo Loco, Weirding Way by Sir Cubworth, and Glacier Bells and Forgive Me Bells, both by Daniel Birch. Additional voice talent for this episode included Alex Ernest as Jessica Lore. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, and we'll see you next week. Hi there, I'm Calvin Piper, and this is the Wild Magic School Bus, the most unprofessional D&D podcast you will ever hear. Hi there, I'm Lucius Kane, and I don't know what unprofessional means. Excuse me, how can you call us unprofessional? Uh, Lucius, Ohiana, what are you guys doing here? Uh, where else would we be? Good point. Uh, Could you keep it down, though? I'm recording a trailer real quick. Uh, Each Monday, you can join the adventures as seven friends laugh, play, and tell the line of copyright infringement in the fantasy world of Tawun Mall, a land divided between magic and man. Hold on. Uh, Are we just going to exclude lizards from that? Uh, No, Glyph. Yes, and lizards. And robotic sidekicks that were once lizards? That's oddly specific, but sure. Now, before we go on, let me address the elephant dragon in the room. We are but one of many D&D podcasts in the world. What makes ours different? Yeah, especially since there are so many others. Yes, thank you, Zeph. Yeah, other ones that are probably, like, way better than this one. Yes, thank you, No Zeph. problem. Look, all I can say is we love D&D, and we love the fun it brings to sometimes a world that's not so fun. And we wanted to share that crazy, weird, and sometimes hilarious story with you. We'd love for you to join us. So follow along on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows, and listen to D&D the way it was meant to be endured. Okay, now, everyone on the bus. All right. Hold on, did we grab the lion? Hey, uh, Zeph. What's, yeah. what's a podcast? Oh, uh, yeah, well, uh, Tabini, a uh, podcast is when, when a group of people love each other very much.